Hey, it's Andrew. Just quickly before we start this episode, I want to tell you about one of my favorite podcasts, the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing Podcast. Now, I don't need to explain what it's all about because the name of it is so good, but here's why I like it. Firstly, the hosts not only know what they're talking about because they've been in the cybersecurity marketing world for so long, but also Jenna and Maria make it fun. They have personalities that come out in the podcast and it draws you in. And secondly, they get great guests and together they make super useful episodes. My recent favorites were the one with Ross Halliluk, who is a marketer, but also just published the book Cyber for Builders, all about how to start a cybersecurity company. Or the one with Joe Evangelisto, the CISO at NetSpy. Or even the one all about telling stories in cybersecurity with Mitch Main. I could go on with quite a few more. And by the way, I'm not getting paid for this. I just really enjoy Gianna and Maria's show. Check it out. It's the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing Podcast. Now, on with this episode. Welcome to episode 105 of the Sales Bluebird podcast, which exists because a B2B startup that is hard to get go-to-market fit, grow revenue, and scale the sales team. Sales Bluebird provides tips, tricks, experiences, examples, and ideas from people who've been doing this for many years and at many different companies. We want your path to go-to-market fit and beyond to be less rocky so that you can grow sales faster. I am your host, Andrew Monahan, and welcome to episode 105. Our guest is Jay Wallace, VP Worldwide Sales at Rumble.run. Jay, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Before we get into our conversation, call out for all our listeners. I really want to hear from all of you or some of you. I know there's questions, there's things in your mind, there's things that you're struggling with or at least thinking about. Why don't we get those onto the podcast and I can talk about them or myself and my guests can talk about the real issues and questions that are top of mind for you. If you have one of those, please email me directly at Andrew at unstoppable.do. Don't forget the D-O at the end. It was Andrew at unstoppable.do. Or you can video message me at zipmessage.com forward slash unstoppable. At zipmessage.com forward slash unstoppable. That allows you to record a video or an audio and get it straight into my inbox. So I'd love to hear from everyone what's top of mind for them right now and see if we work on some of these uh, these hot topics. So, Jay, back to you. When I look at your LinkedIn profile, I'll tell you what I see, and you can call this unfair or fair. I see someone who's been at two or three cybersecurity companies. He spent some time at Duo. I would put that in that, that box. Screen was one as well, and that got acquired uh, after about nine months of you being there. And now you're at Rumble. But in between and before that, cybersecurity was not your thing, right? Is, am, I, am I reading this right? Yeah, you're definitely reading it right. Um, you know, once upon a time, I thought I was going to, you know, make my career in banking. And so I spent a lot of the first part of my career doing everything from financial advisory work. Um, I, you know, went through all the certs. I got my Series 7, my Series 6, all, all the things that you need to go, um, you know, help somebody manage their money. Uh, and I eventually ended up in private banking. You know, what, what lured me away from that, uh, that career, you know, I, I kind of have done most things in my life during the, the trenches of, uh, of when things are going on. So I sold insurance for a little while during the recession. I also did some, you know, refinancing, was doing financial planning, all that through the recession. My first tech company that I worked at outside of finance was also in oil and gas while they were in about an 80% burn 
on their market rate. So spent a lot of time kind of in the in the trenches and in certain places like that. But it's uh, I think it's it's helped me a lot. You know, the reason that I jumped ship from uh, working in finance was because I'm in Austin and, you know, we've we're kind of the Don Silicon Hills over here. You know, there's only so many times you can see a, a 20 or 30 something walk into your office with a half million dollar check because they just exited big from a tech company before you're asking yourself, am I in the wrong profession? You know, <laughs> so uh, I use that as a as a as a motivator and and use my network to get into uh, into tech sales. And my first gig is actually more of a uh, more of a sales engineer kind of tech gig. It was an account management role, but I had to get up to speed not only on tech, which I knew nothing about, uh, but I also had to get up to speed on oil and gas, which I also knew nothing about. So it was a it was a tough climb, but uh, it was really good learning experience and really having to roll up your sleeves and get technical super quick with something you're unfamiliar with was uh, was something that's been pretty thematic with everything that I've I've gone on to sell and all the companies that I've been at. So it's a really good experience. Yeah, I bet and. Uh... Back to your point about the people walking in asking for uh, looking for advice on their half million dollar check. I can tell why you were hired at Rumble just by looking at your your track record here. You were at Duo, which was acquired by Cisco. You were at Lightstep, which was acquired by ServiceNow, and you were at Screen, which was acquired by Datadog. So I think the the Rumble folks are looking for the the fourth time lucky as well, right? Yeah, uh, hopefully not too soon. Um, I think that <laughs> you know, if I look back, like I wish I would have gotten a Duo, you know, three years earlier than I got there. Still grateful for the ride, though. It was an awesome time. What an incredible culture! What an incredible product! Super disruptive, and learned a ton about startups. I was. You know, around uh, employee 300 at Duo, but I was the 30th person in the Austin office, which still had a, a real startup feel to it. Being a remote office and trying to figure things out. And I was in a greenfield territory, named accounts. I was having to go, you know, say, hey, Mr. CISO, you don't know this, but you own six licenses of Duo that one of your security engineers wanted to secure his RDP with. And so I would say, hey, we should talk more about what's what's on the horizon for your security initiative. So it was a it's a really fun experience, you know, and then and then, uh, you know, between Lightstep and, and Screen uh, exit just a little too early. You know, so I'm hoping we got a little bit more runway to rumble. I'm, I'm doing my best to make that happen, by the way. So <laughs> we'll we'll see here in a couple of years how well I do. Yeah, I'm sure be fine. So 11 months ago, you joined Rumble and uh, you were the first person in the sales team. Is that right? Yeah, actually, uh, well, I like to claim the first person, but there's another guy who beat me in the door by about a week and a half. So uh, mm -hmm. I was technically the sales, the, the second salesperson. Um, but we getting in that early with a with another guy who was just getting his bearings in mid market. I was coming on to build the enterprise function and uh, really just handle some of the wild inbound that we had coming in. I mean, there's just so much that actually the CRO at the time, our CEO Chris, was spending about ten or twelve hours a day just responding to customer inquiries. So the product was already pretty pretty needed and pretty wanted, but there's really no real structure around it. So um, my function in in the in the beginning parts of the sales team was just come build a sales team because right now it's just like responding to inbound requests. So there are sellers all around the world listening to this who are sitting there going, how do I get a gig where I'm inundated with inbound? And that's my whole time is working on stuff where people come to me wanting to buy my stuff. So what, what's happening with Rumble, your go-to-market model and, and your business model is causing that to happen? Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. Um, really strong product market fit. I was getting some advice from somebody about coming over to Rumble. 
And, you know, it's, it's asset discovery um, or can be bucketed into asset inventory. You know, a lot of times the advice that I got was the boring problems are the really ones that, that you should go out and solve and cause a really strong market fit. We do unauthenticated scanning. We discover assets on your network, find shadow IT, find orphan devices, all without any kind of an agent. That's kind of the holy grail for a lot of these folks that have been trying to solve that problem for the last 20 years, both on the IT side of the house and the security side of the house. So I think that having a big market like IT and security where they can both agree that the value prop is the same, it's really, really important. You know, the other thing is HD Moore. I mean, he wrote Metasploit. The the guy that ran the Metasploit project at Rapid7 is his co-founder. They've got a really strong track history uh, HD is just a legend in the security space. So I think that there's some street cred that comes along with that where, you know, we could talk to somebody at a Fortune 50 company and they're still a bit in awe that they're talking to the Metasploit guy. And I think okay. that uh, that also certainly helps. But what keeps people coming, though, is that the product actually works really, really well. I mean, the install is super easy. I think that when I evaluate companies that I want to go sell for uh, and work for, I'm looking for a few things. Quick time to value. Uh, on the sales side, it's so important that you can run a proof of concept and prove your value really quickly. I've worked in some places where it took a really long time to do that because of data ingestion problems or because, you know, for whatever reason, you know, you get into enterprise environments, they can be super funky sometimes, especially if they're an older company, right? They don't have a modern stack. So you're dealing with a lot of technical issues. For me, I, I think that avoiding that and finding something that just works really quickly, you're taking a super complicated problem and making it very simple. And then it's super consumable and you can you can address folks from everybody like an MSP market or an SMB market all the way up to a big Fortune 5. I think that's what tells you what your market fit is. That's what I'm usually looking for when I go work for companies. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know this space super well, but, you know, names like Altiris kind of come to my mind uh, back in the day, Tame as well. I mean, these are big, big tools. You know, they, they work to a degree. They're big tools that take potentially a longer time to get uh, get the value though, right? Sounds like that's where you're getting some real traction, having a different message than that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what what we have a big freemium model. I mean, we're a big, you know, product-led growth company. We're focused mostly on education and not so much on, hey, come buy my thing. You know, we don't have a BDR organization. Um, we don't have any immediate plans to do that. We want to go out and educate the market. There's already places people are talking about us, like Reddit or, you know, HN or all these other little pockets. We, we actually got a lead uh, one time in from Australia that came from a video gaming group, uh, some guys that were playing black ops, but they all have to be security guys. And they're like, Hey, how do you solve this problem? They said, Oh, you should go check out rumble. Uh, I kid you not. You know, the guy tells us a story and me and the sales rep that were on the call, were just laughing. Cause it's like, this is insane. You find us from a, you know, somebody heard about a podcast, pass that information on. Um, and, and those are the kind of pockets that we want to go to. Um, but not with sales material. We want to go with education and saying, Hey, I know you're trying to solve this problem. You know, this is where you can solve it really quickly. The other thing is we have the big freemium model. So you can sign up with ever, without ever having to talk to a salesperson. I think that's so important. Um, most people are apprehensive about talking to salespeople until they believe you can actually solve their problem. There's a bunch of different ways you can solve that. We're just choosing to solve that with, you don't have to talk to anybody, you know, come test us out. We're, you know, the proof is in the pudding, test us in your home network. You don't have to get, um, actually that, that brings up another point that I think is super important. Um, there's a lot of reduced friction when it comes to testing Rumble. What I mean by that is you don't need to get an NDA solved if you want to go sign up for a free trial and test it in your home network. Everybody's got a home network. Everybody's got IoT. And we can actually tell you a lot about your stuff. And we have a fingerprint for Teslas. So if you've got a Tesla in your garage, you know we'll tell you it's a Tesla. We'll give you a lot of information about it, how it's actually accessing your internet and all those types of things. So 
it's um it, it's a way that you can test it that's super low risk that you don't have to get legal involved you don't have to get approval from your manager you can just go figure out if the thing works and then when you're ready to engage sales we have people that are educated where we're not spending a ton of cycles telling them what their problem are they already know what we're really doing more instead is saying this is how rumble can fix this for you well, I was going to ask you, it must put a different requirement on who you hire if if your number one focus is education as a rep as opposed to, I don't know, traditional outbound and you know convincing type selling. Yeah, I think so. In the early days of building the mid-market team, you know, we weren't really looking for seasoned sellers, right? Because this is a completely inbound model. There's a ton of people that are knocking on our door. It's high volume. And so early on, I actually hired two BDRs to come do the job. Because when I thought about what I needed to be successful, it wasn't strength in running long sales cycles like an enterprise. It was more so in prioritization. Um, how do you tell when something's important? Where do you focus your time? Where do you spend your time? Um, it, it's more about responsiveness and making sure you're giving a great customer experience more so than it is like pure roll up your sleeves, outbound sales model. Now, moving forward, would I, would I do that for my next few hires? Maybe not. You know, I think that they're, the, the business has grown a little bit. Um, our deals are getting, you know, somewhat more complex. So I'm probably going to be looking for somebody that's, you know, maybe an SMB that's looking to make their, their next step in their career. You know, they've got a few, uh, few wins out of their belt. They understand sell cycles. They understand a lot about deal mechanics uh, and how to execute, what triggers the pull, non-pushy, but building relationships. That's what I'll be looking for for the next set of hires. But I think businesses evolve, right? And for what we needed at the time, we got two rock stars. One of them did 300% of the other, her number. Uh, the other one did 280% of his number last year. So they did all right. It sounds like you might have experimented a little bit with different roles then because you said you don't have BDRs, but you used to. As you could as you brought in the first few hires last year to, to cope with this inbound, what sort of roles did you try out and how did they end up being placed? Yeah, Really good question. So we've, we've got really experienced sellers in security and we've got some, uh, what I'd say like less, less experienced sellers in security in the enterprise space. Um, we take a little bit less risk with enterprise because what we've noticed with our, our motion, which is it's refreshing, but it's, uh, it's actually kind of funny. We don't have a lot of friction in the trial process. That's usually, you know, not the big problem that we we have getting deals across the, the finish line where we really, uh, I wouldn't say struggle, but where we need experience. This is what I hire for is people that can work with procurement, people that know how to work through legal, people that can be patient and build really strong relationships with champions. Because when you're doing the dance as a, as a startup, our size, you need to be patient when it comes to sales cycles. There's going to be all sorts of stuff that you have to deal with. You know, we, we do have a fully on-prem and air gap version. It's got feature parity. So a lot of times that'll help us out with like DPA negotiations uh, or get us around SOC 2 type 2 compliance. But there are other things that are always going to be there. Like when you get into negotiations with limits of liability and you're a small startup and, you know, I don't know if you know this, but it's really tough to get cyber insurance out there these days. Um, you know, some, the, the way that ransomware has impacted the market is really incredible. And it's made it super hard for companies, even that are doing phenomenal, to get high insurance limits. And so those are the things that I'm looking for in a profile. It's less about, you know, this person has been an outbound seller their whole life and they love banging the phones and they love doing cold calls. It's actually counterculture for us. We're looking for folks that are really warm, really empathetic. Um, again, that can build super strong relationships, but also have the wherewithal to work with procurement and legal and sometimes hostile situations to make sure that everybody gets what they want. You know, we get the PO, 
the customer gets the tool, which is ultimately the goal for everyone. It feels like from what you were saying, you've got some enterprise, but you've also got some mid-market folks. It, it, in, but you say freemium, I think in my mind, freemium, this is, you know, upselling, you know, a download up to 50 nodes or something like that. Give, it, give us a sense of deal sizes, if you can, and, and where the real sweet spot in the market is for Rumble. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have deal sizes from $99 a month. You know, if you want to self-service and, and not talk to anybody ever, you can do that. Just put your credit card down and buy Rumble. Um, we, we go as little as a thousand assets that you can purchase. You know, the other thing you asked me earlier around, you know, what makes the sales motion a little bit easier. Our pricing is crazy simple. It's literally just priced on number of assets that you need monitored. You know, that helps so much giving unlimited user licensing. So you don't have any friction points there on, well, how many licenses do I buy? Who can have access to the tool? Everybody can have access to the tool. You know, it's a, it, it's a matter of just making things, you know, wildly simple. And so we have these really small, you know, $99 deals. And those actually sometimes may come through a large enterprise customer. Um, I can tell you of two instances last year, we had a free trial that came in. They actually used a, uh, a burner email address, ran a full proof of concept without us ever really having visibility into it. The next thing you know, they inbound and they say, hey, we'd like an order for about $150,000. And we're like, do you want to test the product or you know, talk to an engineer? They're like, no, we already ran a full proof of concept. We're good. Can you just ship us a, ship us a, a quote? And we booked that thing from the time we found out about it to the time we closed it out. We booked it in three weeks. So um, you know, the, the size of deals can get pretty big. We also had a, another large enterprise customer um, that came in. They paid for you know, the $99 a month trial, spun it up. We did some, some research to find out who the person was. Um, you know, our CRM will do some mapping based on IP and can sometimes tell us you know, who a company is, even if they're not using their corporate domain. And we said, whoa, this is, a, this is a pretty big account. I wonder if this is the guy. So after some research, we find out, oh, it is the guy we engaged. And he said, okay, you know, you got me. I'd love to do a, a trial. You know, what does it take to set one of these things up? And so we started the sales process and that thing's going to land at a seven-figure deal. So it's certainly an enterprise-style product. This is not something strictly for SMB or strictly for enterprise. It's got a pretty wide application. Um, but when I say freemium, not to be confused with open source, right? Um, open source is, is, uh, is, we do open source some of our fingerprinting and things like that, but um, the freemium model has some, some boundaries on it, right? Which is a three-week trial. Everybody gets to sign up. If you want to go past three weeks, you got to contact sales. Um, yeah. If you want to buy the enterprise version, you got to contact sales. Well, one thing that we've done really well at Rumble is coach our, uh, coach our salespeople about customer experience. We're not pushy salespeople. We're, we're never going to be one of those that's just, you know, oh, like doing unnatural things, giving up, you know, six figures worth of revenue to pull a deal in quarter. And you can do that when you have, you know, good pipeline that you're forecasting properly and, uh, and that you've got a really strong replacement strategy for things that might happen to slip. And so far, we've been really fortunate with that. You know, it's amazing. The, the, the strength of the pipe dictates many things in terms of someone's uh, behaviors in, uh, in their selling motions, but also in their ability to, to really forecast and, and execute on what they're supposed to deliver for the quarter for the year. Yeah. You know, yeah, a strong pipeline covers a lot of ills. A weak pipeline exposes a lot of ills. And uh, it's interesting to see the behaviors that, that uh, it generates. And it must be great being in the sales team there where you, you have the inbound coming in that you can, you can then convert. When I, when I heard you talk about people who would be downloading and doing their own trials, I've got to admit, as a kind of, you know, old timer salesperson, that, that made me a little bit nervous, right? I've worked in some places where you wouldn't want people to be finding the boundaries of the product themselves because 
a lot of stuff can happen at the boundaries and usually not good. It sounds like maybe the product is in a state where it's actually pretty solid. Yeah, it's it's a really fully baked product. I mean, strong API. Uh, we've got a lot of integrations with other companies like you know ServiceNow and Splunk, and again, kind of supporting that idea that both security teams and uh, and IT teams can find application. Um, a lot of our larger deals are coming from folks that are just saying, "Hey, we have ServiceNow. You know, we spent a ton of money, we deployed it, we think it's strong, we don't want to replace it, but there's certain areas that we need to augment that data." And you know, a lot of that is around the fact that you know a lot of Traditional monitoring tools need to install an agent on an endpoint in order to get data from it. What we're doing is really just truing up a lot of that. And so we've got a, a pretty strong application there that comes right out of the box. The product itself is is more than enterprise ready. You know, among, amongst our customers, you know, we can count a Fortune 5. We've got about a dozen and a half, you know, Fortune 50 companies that work with us in some ca- some capacity. They, these are all paying customers, right? Um, then we've also got all the way down to like, MSPs and, you know, six person consulting firms that are using us and still finding a lot of value. And contrary to traditional sales motions, just because somebody's a small customer, some of them actually pay us a lot of money. You know, we might have a customer that's, you know, three to five people at the entire company and they may be paying us 10 or $20,000 a year. Um, so it, those are things that I think have challenged my psyche since I've started at Rumble uh, in a lot of different ways. You know, I, hey, I love freemium. I love for people to be able to test it out. But there's a certain level of trust that you have to put into the fact that the product's going to do its job. We have a really good engineering team. Uh, engineering team is, has grown a ton this year. We've done a really good job with hiring. Um, so I think that all those things inspire a lot of confidence. But you do speak to the heart of the biggest struggle I have with my salespeople, which is getting them to believe that this is going to be okay right? That <laughs> this is going to convert, you know, and it's easy for my lens because I've seen it a couple hundred times already, right? But it's not so easy for somebody that's used to a, a mostly outbound motion, or even if you are getting warm leads, there's a ton of value selling that you have to do on the front end to get buy-in from, you know, the economic buyer, to get buy-in from uh, the other vested parties, right? That, you know, if you're a security team and you're trying to sell and still a little bit of budget from IT, and, you know, you've got to do a lot of work on your side, you know, put a BBA together and, you know, maybe even, you know, piece together some kind of an RFP and ship that out. And um, it's not really what we have to do here. The magic and what Rumble's been doing is just, hey, test the product. We're going to ask you to call our bluff, right? And when they test the product, they're like, oh, this could probably do a whole lot more than what I thought it could. That's usually when somebody engages and hops on the phone with us. And is it a land and expand model then? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. How quickly do you see the expands coming in after landing? You know, it really depends. One anomaly that we saw last year that turned out to be less of an anomaly and, and more of a consistent theme was certain integrations get people really excited. We uh, we brought out our CrowdStrike integration last year and immediately had a bunch of people that hadn't talked to us since they booked their first deal with us and were not even up for renewal yet. They were like, hey, what's it cost to get that CrowdStrike integration? And it's just very, very blunt. We had our mid-market team, especially, just shipping quotes and people were signing them and sending them back. I mean, we're talking 4x the price of what they were paying before. They didn't care because it was a key integration for them. Since then, we built out things like cloud integrations with Azure and AWS. Uh, whereas we're not a cloud security company, I think it's important that people, when they're looking at their threat landscape, they get to see everything. Um, and they want to see it all in one screen. So, um, you know, sometimes we'll see people buy and they come back to us a quarter later and they're like, take more of my money. This is a really great product. And we found another application for it. Sometimes when we book the land deal, they're telling us, hey, we're going to pop our head back up in about 60 days. And the one case with the large customer I told you about that came uh, inbound as a paying customer and has now grown to a seven-figure deal, them specifically, 
they're like, we don't even know what's on the other side of this. We don't have a grip on, on what the overall asset count is. So we're going to give you this big number. We're going to guess that that's where we are, but we may be back to you in two weeks. And so we're finding that with the larger deployments, they're negotiating, hey, I need to know how much this is going to be if it's 5x what I think it is. Um, yeah. That's the magic of it. And I think we're comfortable building those things in and and you know figuring out, making sure that pricing looks proper for them and that they've got room to grow and explaining our process for you know, co-term expansions and, you know, what the difference would be between a three-year deal and a one-year deal. Um, and again, shocking for a company our size, we have a quite a few multi-year agreements. And a lot of times we're telling people like, we don't want the multi-year agreement. You know, we're still trying to figure out if our pricing is right for the market, you know, so we prefer to just go on a one. But a lot of people, I think, just see the value and they want to lock in the price at where it's at today. Yeah, I bet, right? They're seeing, they're discovering new things and learning new things about their environment. That's always an eye opener for people. And it's kind of the classic security, you know, visibility drives a lot of behavior over the years, right? As they learn more about what's going on in their environment, they, there's more to do and more to fix and more to, to be aware of. Yeah. Uh, thinking about the the shape of the team. Do you have CS as well, or is or is all the existing accounts handled by the, the sales team? Oh, it's the next frontier. We actually just extended an offer to our, our first customer success rep. He's going to found our team, help us build out some best practices and things like that. Everything's been handled by the, the account executives. What we've seen shape of the business and how it's changed over the last 12 months or so is before, you know, we were all kind of reactionary. It's just, you know, responding to inbound leads, making sure that you manage the, the the deal cycle properly and then get the deal going. And then you move on because you've got so much in your pipeline that you can't afford to really sit and, and hang out. Well, we've done a really good job of, you know, really about four and a half Xing our, our customer base over the last year. And now we have to keep those customers, right? <laughs> That's the big, the big question now is like, how do we consistently get education to our customers uh, amongst the product that's being iterated on super rapidly? You know, I got a chance to peek at the roadmap for this upcoming year and it's almost scary what we're committing to. But I've got history on my side. I've seen it done before. I saw it done over the last year or so. And I know that we're going we're gonna to hit our goals. But what that tells me though, is that if we don't get customer success and things like that in place now, our customers are actually going to lose sight of, of, of what we actually do because the, the development velocity is so high. The other thing that I'm really thinking about a lot right now as a sales leader is how do we make sure that our long tail gets renewed next year? Because account, account executives that are doing new logos and they're doing it at such a fast clip are going to have a really hard time concentrating on building out new revenue, but also renewing you know several hundred accounts of their own. That's a really tough job. And so we're thinking about account management slash renewal manager and how to do that the right way too. I think uh, anybody listening here as a, as a seller has probably their own opinions on renewal managers and you know how they interact with your customers and what kind of value they bring. So we're really trying to think about it differently. We want them to kind of hold a customer success kind of feel and be educated on the product and be able to have a lightly technical conversation with the buyer, but also tell them the renewal's up here in a few months and we should reevaluate. Are you on the right plan? You know, did you hit your MBOs last year from what you expected out of Rumble? If you didn't, you know, how can we get that back to the table and make sure you guys are on track by the time your renewal gets here? So those are two top priorities for me in the first quarter of this year. Yeah. And Jay, since we're talking about uh, hiring, I want to give the audience a quick read here. I want to tell them about cybersalesjobs.com. If you're a hiring manager and struggle to find great cybersecurity sales talent, or you're looking yourself and are fed up having to check out a whole bunch of different sites to see what's out there, check out cybersalesjobs.com. It has AEs, SEs, SDRs, channel ops, CS, enablement roles, leaders, individual contributors, the whole lot um, at a whole bunch of different uh, cybersecurity companies. 
Hiring managers can post jobs for free and job seekers can get alerts as jobs open up for their role and in their area, also for free. So head over to cybersalesjobs.com to, to check that out. But I, I think you bring up a good point, which is that uh, this world of the expand and what it really takes for someone to ex be an expander, let's say, right? It's not a traditional post-sales, you know, keep them happy role. There is an element of doing a consultative, help them see the, see the future, right? See the possibilities. And it seems like you're being very thoughtful about what sort of person is going to be the, the right uh, profile for that type of role. Yeah. You know, my background has always been in like building relationships with people and, and keeping long-term relationships with people. So it's always top of mind that we don't just book a deal and move on. We've been almost a victim of our own success here at Rumble, where I think that uh, we want to go back. We want to get back to those people that we worked with. You know, we want to get back to those awesome logos that we did a land with. Um, but in, I would say the the first few quarters of last year, uh, it was so reactive that we never really got to go back around to those folks. So this year, the reason it's such a high priority is because, uh, again, we're building something really awesome. We've got a product right now and the foundation is really, really solid. But we're putting so much more on top of it that if people lose sight of that, I think, you know, there there is a challenge with, with Rumble where people are constantly trying to put us in a category. And we don't really have one in particular that we we just snap into, you know. We have people saying like, oh, tax surface management. We're like, well, that's more like kind of outside, you know, looking for like, you know, K8s clusters and things like that that have been abandoned on the on the Internet. It's not really what we're doing. And we've got people who say, well, what about vulnerability scanning? It's like, well, we're not really a vulnerability scan. We're actually helping you with your vuln scans, right? We can do rapid response for incident response teams and, and help you find the, you know, potential vulnerable assets. But we're not really doing the vuln scanning. So we want to make sure that with education and with, uh, constant engagement with our customers, we continue to get the message across that we're your pure play discovery engine. We're going to make all your other tools better, but don't bucket us in over there, right? Because we, we're not trying to compete with ServiceNow, right? We're not trying to compete with Tenable. So, you know, if we lose sight of uh, lose sight of engaging with our customers at a meaningful level and educating them on the product that we're building, I think that we could easily get put into that bucket. And then the risk I see in that is at renewal time. Right. When they've got to justify their big budget and they're like, well, we, we got to have rumble. And their boss says, hey, what's the difference between that and this other thing? You know, we want them to be able to defend themselves. Yeah, it feels like and I'm sure you've given this a lot more thought than I have, but it feels like in that uh, renewal time discussion, it's really important to understand how it's being used and how it fits into their processes, not just assume that they're going to be using it the same way as you know someone else might be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, the, the different use cases so far at Rumble have varied so much that, you know, it, at one point it was almost hard to pin down. We hired a product marketing manager last year and first he was like, okay, so what are the core use cases? And we're like, well, which, which one of the 50 do you want? You know, we've got this customer using it for this. We've got this customer using it for this. Uh, I kid you not. We have one customer that bought us, deployed a fairly large deployment, a uh, European customer that does uh, luxury goods. And, they are using us to true up and find everything outside of their ServiceNow instance because they are on a goal to become carbon neutral. They feel like the only way they can become carbon neutral is by knowing everything that's on their network, replacing the things that are no longer energy efficient. Um, that's, a, that's a core goal of theirs. And so to use an asset discovery tool as a means to get to carbon neutrality, I mean, that's just not something I would have ever thought of. Yeah, where do you put that value prop on your website, right? Yeah, <laughs> still trying to figure that out. <laughs> oh boy, that, that, that's the challenge, though. It's interesting you brought that up. You know, if you're a PMM, you're, you're trying to get the two or three use cases. If you're trying to onboard 
new sellers, you want to skill them up to talk about something very well, right? But when you got such a diverse uh, use case pool, it must really challenge the team to do that. Yeah, it, it is. And I think we have realized over the last couple of months, we've hit that stage of uh, tribal knowledge transfer. And, you know, there's not a lot of things that are on paper. So one of my sales reps the other day, you know, pinged the channel and said, hey, uh, do we work with any hospitals? Have we done anything with any kind of, uh, you know, any kind of, um, you know, medical equipment? Do we have any kind of assets that we can send out about that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we've got these three customers and here's their use cases and here's how they tested us. And this is how we got out of it. And, you know, but it's like, oh, they had to go to me for that. Like, I think that makes me the right. bottleneck. So uh, a lot of what we're trying to do right now is is stop the tribal knowledge transfer and, and get that all put somewhere in a centralized location. So those are all like challenges with fast growing companies. But, you know, having good teammates like somebody in PMM, they can own a part of that and working with a really strong solutions architecture team pre-sales so that they can say, oh, these are the you know 10 things that I heard over the last two weeks. These are the three things that I heard in every call over the last two weeks. You know, those are the yeah. things that I think if we surface those and we catalog those, it's going to help us out a ton. Yeah. I, slightly different question for you. Um, you're in a great spot right now, right? You've got the inbound coming in. You've got the buzz around HD Moore. You've got a product that works and you know, best viral engine in the world is a product that people love. At some point in the next year or two, as you scale, uh, you're going to hire a bunch of salespeople, the cool heart number three or four, where they won't be flooded with quite as many inbound, right? There'll be that kind of topping off of the, of the at least the growth of the inbound, let's say. And I'm wondering how you're thinking about that, if, if it's all, if you think that's too far in the future, given that you know, you're growing so fast right now. Yeah, not not at all. Uh, that's absolutely on on the top of my mind. I think that uh, one of my favorite expressions is like only the paranoid survive, you know, and I find that, you know, in working with some really incredible salespeople over the last, you know, 15 years or so, um, whether it's in SaaS, whether it's in finance, uh, it doesn't matter. The, the thing that I see all the time is that those really high achievers, the ones that are doing 200% of their number year over year, those are the ones that are always afraid everything's going to fall through. You know, they're at 150% of their number, but they're worried about this deal that only gets them to 151%, right? They're just sweating over it. And it's like, you know, I, I totally understand uh, what the mentality is. And, and I really, I kind of embrace that uh, here at Rumble. I think that, yes, things are great, but there's always things that could be better. And uh, I think we have to really hedge for that slowdown phase. So some of the things that I'm, uh, the ways that I'm thinking about it is, is again, like cold outbound is going to be our absolute last strategy. I think a lot of companies start there because they're trying to establish product market fit. Um, and it's not to say that that's wrong. It's just to say that that model is probably not the best model for us. You know, there's a lot of places we can go first. For instance, the channel. That's something that we think uh, really, really strongly about. I've had a pretty strong opinion about that since I got in here. And as a result, we booked over 50% of our revenue last year through the channel. Most of that channel deal, a lot of it was was inbound. But we, you know, I trained the salespeople, especially the younger salespeople that never really have an opportunity to miss that revenue by giving up a little margin. Those are the ones we're teaching. They're just like, hey, this is all I've ever known. It's great to have that. But, you know, there's there's also like we just did a deal with a with a certain state and uh, a state agency and you know, one of the things that we don't have is we, we don't have a state license. So we leveraged one of our partners and said, hey, do you guys have an agreement over here? They said, yeah, we do. So you know, you're happy to give up margin on things like that because it helps you get a, a deal done a whole lot faster. It speeds up the velocity of the deal, really uncomplicates all the things that could get so complicated with dealing with that kind of a, that kind of an organization. And so we're thinking about channel pretty strongly. Um, I'm actively, uh, shameless plug here, I'm actively hiring for a good channel manager, somebody that wants to come in, roll up their sleeves. Um, the good news is 
because of our relationships with our, uh, you know, our investors and because of the relationships that we've already kind of proven out there in the world, we've got key contacts with so many uh, higher ups at a lot of the organizations that traditionally you've had to go out and sell to, right? When you talk about some of the big, uh, the big bars out there, both regional and national, you're typically trying to get FaceTime with them and say, hey, please look at my product. This is a game changer. You're going to love this. And so you're, you're in a sense doing the same sales pitch that you would do in an outbound motion uh, business to business. We don't really have that issue. We can get FaceTime with a lot of folks really anytime we like. And so um, what we're trying to do is, is be really smart about it and build a very actionable program. So it's in a sense, we want to create the same experience that buyers have with us right now when they're buying direct. You know, it feels very customer oriented. Um, it's definitely customer led. We want partners to feel the same way. We have a good, you know, for instance, like a great partner portal that they can come into that the deal registration process is super simple, that they can track their deals, you know, through some means and that it's not too scattered. So we're trying to be really smart about that. If we build the infrastructure now, channel's going to be really good to us in those days where it becomes a little bit slimmer. The other things that we haven't done too much so far is, you know, one advantage of being this early stage is you can tap your investors. You actually know your investors pretty well. And so leveraging the investor network and saying, hey, We've got an engagement going over here. Somebody's gone a little dark. You know anybody over there? And a lot of times they can surface a key contact. They can help you either get a deal done or get re-engaged with a, a certain customer that you were chasing. And then also, I think one of the ways you de-risk is you hire experienced salespeople. So when you hire people, you know, mentioned earlier, I, I, I took a little, uh, I haven't always been in cybersecurity and I definitely took a little detour after Duo uh, and went after a little bit of another market right before coming back into security. Um, but even so, I've got a pretty large, you know, CISO security leader network. Hiring good, experienced people that have been selling security for a long time, especially those ones that know their patch really well, um, that's a good way to de-risk, you know, a slowdown in outbounds because they probably either sold to folks like that, met them at conferences. The last thing I'll say about it is those folks also know the diamonds in the rough, which is I don't know you know, what every good enterprise customer that has budgets and spends money on security. I don't know who all those folks are in Oregon, but if we hire somebody that's selling into P&W for the last 10 years, they definitely know who it is. And yeah. so leveraging things like that are a much better way to do it than, than to just go cold outbound right away. Yeah, I know. I like the way you're thinking about that. It, it, cold, I mean, cold outbound does work for, for some organizations. They, they figure it out, right? And sometimes by necessity, they have to figure it out. You're in a great position right now, but it sounds like you've, you've been thinking about how to de-risk the future a little bit if, if things do slow down, which is really good to hear. But what a great terror you're on over there at Rumble right now, Jay. It's really good to hear. Let me change tax on you a little bit. There is no better way to find out about the real Jay Wallace than by using one of these bullshit LinkedIn polls that we see way too often on LinkedIn right now. So I've got three for you uh, right now. First one is Alex Archowski. So like, sorry, Alex, I probably completely butchered your name. When you have a long sales cycle, what is the number one skill set you need in order to be successful? Is it A, amiable and patient? Is it B, grit or determination? Is it C, critical thinking? Or is it D, being goal-oriented? You know, is all four an option? I mean, I think that... <laughs> yeah. The magic formula in long sales cycles is, you know, absolutely it's patience, but you can't get it done with just patience alone, right? You've got to be super smart. You have to know when to pull your punches. You have to know when to send a best and final and you never send it too early. It's really, it's really all of those things. Patience is a virtue, but also there's a certain point where you have to pull the plug and figure out, I don't think I'm ever getting this deal. <laughs> so Yeah. The answer from the, all the respondents, the number one was B, grit determination of 44%. So that's what people gravitate towards there. Next one is from Liesl Jacob Smith. 
Which lie do you tell most often? <laughs> is it A, five more minutes? Is it B, I'm on my way? <laughs> is it C, I'm listening? And is it D, I didn't see your text? Um, I didn't see your text. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, that came in joint second. So the first one was on my way. Uh, and then it was five more minutes and I didn't see your text. And then finally it was, I'm listening. <laughs> and the final one from Charles Cooper, what is your drink of choice when you end your work week? Is it a beer, beef, whiskey, C tequila, or D something else? You know, um, I would say a good whiskey. I'm a whiskey guy through and through like, like a good bourbon, big rye fan. So I, that usually will, will settle me down after a rough week. Does it go as far as scotch? You know, I, uh, I have a love hate relationship with scotch, you know, a good scotch. I don't think there's much better. A bad scotch. It's hard to come back from. As a man who was born and grew up in Scotland, the fact that you might think it was a bad one just uh, it, it uh, grinds me a little bit. But no, I know what you mean. Maybe it's funny because uh, dive bars I've been in uh, here at Austin, <laughs> so <laughs> they do exist. As someone who who was born and grew up in Scotland, I actually don't like Scotch that much. I, I do actually prefer a bourbon to, to to Scotch itself, but you know, preferences all around. So, uh, last couple of questions for you, Jay. What sales question or saying would you cast into the far reaches of space? never to be heard again because you're just fed up hearing it if there is one yeah i think i do really dislike the you know what keeps you up at night question because that has been played in my ear for the last decade i i just everybody's heard it people are annoyed about it yeah i mean CISOs crack jokes about it all the time like if one more salesperson out i just i i hope i never hear that and if anybody on my sales team is listening please just if you're doing it stop <laughs> No, I'm with you on that. I know you're hiring because you've told us during the call. If someone's got a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, you know, uh, a DM on LinkedIn is great. Uh, you can find me under the uh, under the Rummel team. Also, you can email me, jay at rummel.run. Don't be afraid to just send an email over. I'm not a big resume guy, so don't bother with the resume. Just tell me who you are and, and what you're looking for, and we can go from there. And you can check out all of our openings at rummel.run slash careers. We've got everything posted there. So even if it's not in sales, we're hiring for most positions all the way across the company. And importantly, is rummel.run run not rumble.com is that right that is correct we we recently filled in a few questions about joe rogan based on rumble.com which was <laughs> is a uh is a very free speech video streaming website i'll stop there is it? and uh yeah rumble.run is where you can find the asset discovery platform <laughs> okay so jay at rumble.run will we'll get to you right Absolutely. Good. Well, Jay, enjoy the conversation today. Thanks so much for joining us and I wish you all the best for 2022. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks so much, Andrew, for having me on. It would mean a lot to me and to the continued growth of the show if you'd help get the word out. So how do you do that easily? There are two ways. Firstly, just simply send a link to a friend. Send a link to the show, to this episode. Um, you can email it, text it, Slack it, whatever works for you and is easy for you. The second way is to leave a super quick rating. And sometimes that can seem complicated, so I've made it as easy for you as I can. You simply have to go to ratethispodcast.com slash cyber. That's ratethispodcast.com slash cyber. And it explains exactly how to do it. Either of these ways will take you less than 30 seconds to do, and it will mean the world to me. So thank you.